little changes today. Uh, the power with the uh, theater and the mall, they said, hey, can't come until 1030. So thank you so much for making the adjustment. You're here. And uh, for those of you that got here a little bit early, you got a bonus. You got a little extra church. So you're just better than all of us. So uh, congratulations on that. But we're glad that you are here. I hope you're glad. I hope you had a good week. And if you're not glad, you know, just tell the person next to you, uh, you know what, I'm going to be glad. I'd made it a decision. I'm here. I'm at church. And I'm excited what God is going to bring to me today. We are going to be starting a new series entitled God Is because there's a lot of confusion today about God. If you've, if you've noticed, you can talk to people about God and you'll get a lot of opinions, won't you, about who they think God is, what they think God is like. So when we we grasp this subject of what God is, I want you to know there was a lot of frustration on my part this week of how do you communicate The awesomeness of God. I mean, how do you do that in 30, 40 minutes? How do you bring to somebody a picture of God? Because sometimes I think we like the the aspect that God is just so big, it's a little bit beyond knowing. It's kind of like, you know, God doesn't really interfere in my really my small day-to-day life. You know, I go to work, I get up, I go to bed, I take care of the family, pay my bills, that kind of thing. But I'm glad God's taking care of the cosmos. I'm glad the planets are in a line. I'm glad that the planets is staying on its axis. You know, we, we like that aspect of God. But then when we try to make God a little bit more personal, then we kind of have some difficulties really describing how does God interact with you and I on a day-to-day personal basis. So who is God? And on the video, you saw that there's a lot of different opinions about who people think God is. The atheist would say there is no God at all. While the agnostic would say there is a God, you just can't know him. And sometimes I meet Christians who flip-flop between either viewpoint. They'll sometimes at certain crisis points, they'll say, is there really a God in the midst of this crisis? Or they'll get to a point where they say, you know what, I just feel like my God is so distant from me. I don't really feel like I know God. And so we can kind of flip-flop between those opposing views. But this next several weeks, matter of fact, we're going to spend what's going to be probably the longest series in our church history. We're spending the next eight weeks talking about who God is is and i'm excited and i'm frustrated because i feel like i have this desire but i feel like i lack the proper ability to convey a strong image of just how awesome our god is because i want you to know something we did not build this church and start this church and then try to invite god in on it And I feel like sometimes today, that's the model for starting a church. It's like, hey, we're going to do something really cool, really trendy, and God as an afterthought, why don't you get in on what we're doing? We're so organized, we're so hip, we're so cool, so God, why don't you kind of be the third wheel here? That's not why the church is ever or should ever be started. What we did is what we said, God, where do you want to work? And we want to invite ourselves in on what you want to do. Because it's not our church, it's not our desire. It's all about you And we want to do what pleases and glorifies you. There used to be a day and age where we would grow up in church and you would learn in Sunday school or if you went to some Catholic background, you would learn a catechism. You say a catechism, what is that? There is the Westminster Catechism and the fourth one says the chief end of man is to glorify God. God. And so we would learn these growing up. Well, nowadays, a lot of people would say, now that sounds like something, I I don't know what that is, but we've got to come back to that God doesn't just relate to us on a friendship level. Because if it was just a friendship level, we would miss that he desires worship. I don't worship my best friend. 
He lives in Tennessee. We call, we text, but I don't worship him. I don't send a tithe check to him. I don't sing songs to him. That'd be very awkward, very weird. So sometimes we have this picture that God is my buddy. It's really hard to worship your buddy and God demands worship. And so we need to get an accurate view of God because today you'll find a lot of people with a distorted view of God, a very small view of God. Matter of fact, my fear is that our God is much too small because I feel like that's why we we go through life frustrated by things because our view of God is so small and our view of problems is so big. It dwarfs what God wants to do in our lives. And so we're going to start this journey and the destination is not heaven. The destination is God. And it's the pursuit of the knowledge of God to know more about Him and to discover new truths about Him because your life and my life as a Christian become dull and dry if we're not constantly learning about our Creator, constantly discovering new things about here. I'm learning that my wife loves when I study her, find out what she likes, what she wants to do. And God is very much the same way. And I'm not trying to bring down God. Just know that I'm using a human illustration to kind of help up us grasp with it. Because the writer in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, he was trying to convey to the church in Ephesus, he said in the King James, it says, the exceeding greatness of his power is what in Ephesians chapter number 1, verse number 18, talking about God, the exceeding greatness. You and I would say, I don't use that word exceeding greatness. When I look at my buddy's car who gets a nice car, I don't say, man, that is an exceeding great car. Just try it in a conversation. It doesn't really go well, okay? It's kind of awkward. It's kind of like, uh, that didn't really flow very well. So what we we would say, and what the writer is trying to say, that anything you would try to compare God to, some people do this, God is like the brightness of the sun. You ever heard somebody say something similar like that? God's love is deep like the ocean. We're trying to compare God. We're trying to get our minds to wrap around the awesomeness of God. And we just, we fail miserably. And so that can lead to sometimes some frustration. And so what the writer, the Apostle Paul is trying to say, he said the exceeding greatness, he's saying basically this, God is incomparable. Whatever you want to try to compare God to, God is so much more than that. God's love is so much more, it's so much deeper than the oceans, though we'll, we'll use the ocean. God is so much brighter than the sun, but that's just what we'll use. But I want us to get a picture that anything we try to compare God to, it's going to fail miserably short because our God is so much bigger than that. But what happens today is the be- in, in Genesis, it says in the beginning, God created. And then we know in Genesis, it said God created man. Well, man has been returning the favor ever since we've been creating God after our own image. And so this is what happens, folks. Our God is a little bit bigger than our biggest fear. Our God is a little bit better than our greatest joy. And our God is just a little bit greater than whatever we think is great. And what happens when we do that is our God is still not big enough. Our picture of God is still just too small. And, I, and, I, and I, I'm not trying this morning for you to have one of those mind-blowing experiences. That's, I, I would like for us to get there where we just step back and we're just in awe of the majesty and the grandeur of God. But really, we've got to let his word speak for itself. Because like I said, life is a journey and the destination is not heaven. The destination is God. 
But what happens is, you and I today, we're afraid to take our God into the workplace. We're afraid as students to take our God into the classroom. Because we don't know if our God really is bigger than their argument. We don't know if our God really is big enough for that terminal disease. We don't know if our God really is big enough for that marriage that's on the fritz, that's about to break up. We just don't know. And that's why we're sometimes afraid to really showcase our God. Because I feel like if we were really honest with ourselves, our God isn't that big. You got your mail on Friday and Saturday. Maybe you got that bill that was unexpected. And you looked at your wife and that look just said it like, how are we going to take care of this? It reveals the smallness of our God. You got the doctor's report and you couldn't believe it. And your emotions and the feelings you had, the anxiety reveals the smallness of our God. The The job isn't going well and things are not happening like you planned on and you're frustrated and you're irritated, you're angry and it reveals not so much uh, 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 just that that the market's going to change but it reveals a a lack of faith in God. You say, how can you say that? Because the Bible says our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Our God says that our God is the great physician. And see, what happens is we miss out on just how big God is, how great God is. But here's, here's what I want us to write down this morning. We often reduce God to our biggest failure and our greatest fear. That's often where God we reduce God to. That God is no bigger than our greatest failure. That God, you're big, but remember how I messed up way back then. Remember what I did in high school? I can't believe it. I'm still thinking about that. Remember what happened in college? Remember what happened last year, two years ago? And we still feel that guilt and that shame because God is not bigger than our greatest failure. And then also, some of us, we say, well, I have this fear to go and step out and do this next thing. It's because that our God is no bigger than our greatest fear. I was reading a great book this week by a writer, and he said this. He said, the pursuit of the knowledge of God must never be undertaken as a casual exercise. It must be the chief business of our lives. The pursuit of God. And now this morning, if you're a first-time guest here, I want to let you know, it's not my intention to talk over your head. It's not mine. I'm a very down-to-earth, I work hard to use practical illustrations. I use hard to use relevant cultural illustrations. But I'm going to tell you what. When you start talking about God, it's not easy to not use big words. Because I just can't make God fit into something just doesn't fit in. Because my fear is that our God fits in our little box. Our neat package, nicely tied package box. And that's our God. He just kind of fits in the box. And whenever we need him, we get the box off the shelf and say, Alright God, we need you to work. But no God of the Bible can fit in any of our boxes. God is too big. He is too great. He is too awesome. That's why the knowledge of God is so important because once we start gaining the knowledge and understanding, we just step back and we're just kind of in awe of it. The first time you saw a great national monument, you're just kind of like, wow, that's just incredible. 
The first time you saw something that truly just took your breath away. Maybe it was a painting. Maybe it was a person. Maybe it was your bride when you got married. And you saw that picture. And it was just like time froze. and Time stood still. Because you're having this moment. You don't want the moment to end. And I want us to see our God in that light. I want us to have a moment where it seems like time. If it could just stop. We could just gaze into how great God is. And over the next eight weeks, we're going to try, we're going to try in our humanity, get a picture of his divinity. And I'm going to tell you what, church, it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be awesome. Because we're going to see what the scripture talks about. And I can't think of a better passage than Isaiah chapter number 40. Would you take your Bibles there? I came across several scriptures that I really wanted to preach out of. And I kept wrestling between two or three last night till well after midnight. But I couldn't get away from Isaiah chapter number 40. Many of us would know Isaiah chapter number 40 and verse number 31 because it says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And we know that verse. Sometimes we'll have it uh, sports players or athletes they'll put that on their eye black or something or they'll have that on a jersey isaiah 40 verse 31 because it's an awesome awesome verse that we will mount up with wings like eagles and we love that verse but prior to this we need to understand a little background the speaker is isaiah the prophet isaiah the prophet has for the last 39 chapters been prophesying that israel needs to repent from their idolatry That they need to get things right. Otherwise, God is going to send the nation of Babylon to come and take them. And in chapter 39, here Isaiah visits King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah just had some guests. King Hezekiah is a very naive king. Because Isaiah comes to him and he says, Who were those that were visiting with you? And King Hezekiah says, Oh, it was these men from a far distant land, from Babylon. And Isaiah had been preaching that God was going to use Babylon to come and turn the nation of Israel, to punish the nation of Israel for their idolatry. And here Isaiah is thinking, you did what? What? And then Isaiah asked him the question, what did you show them, King Hezekiah? At this time, the temple was still had overlaid of gold. Hezekiah, his personal guards, had shields, and these shields were overlaid with gold. Solomon made these shields. They were beautiful. You would walk into the temple, and it was gorgeous. You would walk into the palace, and the wealth of Israel was still there. And Hezekiah told Isaiah, I showed him all our wealth. I showed it off. Why? Because he wanted... He wanted the glory. He wanted somebody to think, wow, you're quite incredible. And Isaiah just shook his head. And instead instead of prophesying doom, instead of prophesying what would happen, Isaiah begins to teach and begins to give the nation of Israel a picture of God that they're going to need as they go into captivity. And we're going to pick it up in verse number 10. Can we out of respect for the word of God? And if you're able, would you stand? It is our custom to stand in honor of the word of God. And... We're going to read verse numbers 10. We're going to go down through verse number 18. The scripture will be on the screen if you don't have your Bible or on your mobile device. It will also be in your worship guide. I'll start in verse number 10. The Bible says, and I love this. Behold the Lord God. It's just like Isaiah just says, stop and look at God. 
hey, husbands, we're used to this, we're used to this. Um, we're busy, and our wives are changing, they're getting dressed, and they're like, hey, what do you think about this outfit or this outfit? And we're just kind of like, you know, we're busy, we're just doing stuff, we're checking sports, <laughs> and we're busy, all right? Um, we're just doing stuff, checking emails, and then all of a sudden, it's like our wife has to grab our face and says, look at me. Okay, before I leave the house, I need to know, can I wear this dress? What do you think of this jewelry? What do you think of my makeup? And it's like Isaiah is saying, hey, stop, people. Your life is hectic. Your life is busy. The 49ers are going to be on in a little bit. All this stuff is going on. But right now, stop and behold your God. Just look at him. And as we read the scriptures, would we just behold him? The Lord God will come with strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead them, those that are with young. I love this. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with the span, comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountain in scales and the hills in balance? Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord? Or being his counselor hath taught him? With whom took he counsel? And who instructed him? And taught him in the path of judgment? And taught him knowledge and showed him and showed to him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? Before we dive into the message this morning, we need to pray to God and just ask that we would see him in a whole new way. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray as we are united in prayer, as we we turn our hearts towards you, I pray that this service, we would have a glimpse of your glory. We can read in the Old Testament how people like Moses and people like Joshua and Abraham, they got a glimpse of your glory. They saw parts of you. Oh, I pray that today you would meet with us in this theater upstairs above the Oak Ridge Mall in San Jose, California. That there would be somebody here that would walk out with a new appreciation of how great you are. May you be glorified in our service. We love you. We pray that you would work in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Turn to somebody next to you and touch them and say, God is awesome. God is awesome. And if you want to, you could sing the song, everything is awesome, or maybe not, okay? We were in a store, and it was just coming on, and my wife and I, we were just kind of getting a headache, just looking at each other. It just kept playing on repeat, repeat, repeat. But I just couldn't think of a better song to just think that, wow, that's our God. But what happens is we often reduce God to our biggest failure and our greatest fear. And this morning, I want us to walk away with the renewed glimpse of God. You know, there's nothing, there's something inside of all of us, whether we are a quote-unquote Christian or non-Christian, that in fact does know that there is a God. Now, you can go to school and you'll go to some secular college and they'll say, no, 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 that is not innate inside of mankind to know that there is a God. But the Bible says our conscience 
bears witness that there is a God. And not only is there a part that God created inside of you that does in fact know that there is a God, there's another part of you, whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, that desires to know him. That's why some will turn to some other Middle Eastern uh, religion. That's why some of you will turn to some occult. Because there is a desire inside of you to see if you can know deity. To say there's got to be something bigger than me. Because we are because he is. I mean, I didn't just evolve. I'm not just didn't just come out of some primordial ooze. Evolution didn't just happen. I didn't just happen to get here. There had to be a creator. And the question comes to our mind, well, if I'm created, then the person who created me, does that person have a creator? God is the creator that has no creator. God is the maker that has no maker. God always was, always is. Sometimes we like to talk about God as if he came into being. No, God was always in being. You see, you and I, we were given life. They say that life happens at conception. That's when we were given life. With God, God says life is within himself. He can give it, he can take it. There is no, you can just give it. You see, life was given to us. Life can be taken away from us. God says Life is inside of me. That's how he can give life. And here this passage in Isaiah, he is writing to get us to see that, wait a minute, that innate knowledge that there is a God, that innate desire that says you want to know that God. He says, I'm going to give you a picture of him and it's going to blow your mind. Because this God, he can take all the waters of the ocean and he says the hollow of his hand, he just puts it there. I don't know about you, I'm not a big fan of being out in the ocean. I like lakes, I like rivers, but I'm not a big fan of the ocean. I hate feeling so small. My wife and I went scuba diving once and there was never a feeling of smallness than when we went scuba diving. You're just out there. There's, there's nothing, you know, and, and it's just kind of like, what's going to happen if all of a sudden the boat, I come back up, the boat is gone. This is going to be bad, all right? Because Jane, I hope you're a good swimmer. You're carrying me all the way back to the beach, okay? All right, that's how this is going to go. Because there's this feeling of smallness. There's this feeling of just being helpless. And God says, All the water right there. God, matter of fact, says, hey, I measured the universe with the span. We don't use that type of measurement, but the Bible says if you take the span, a span would be from your pinky, stretch it out to your thumb. That's a span. That's about a span right there. It's about seven, eight inches. That's a span. God says, I measured the universe like that. I measured the universe like that. How big is your God? And God says, you want to know how big the universe is? About that big incredible that we look at our god and what we do is we look at our god through the eyes of our problem so our god becomes very small instead of looking at our god through the eyes of a god that says oh you want to know how big the universe is bam there you go that's how big it is some of you think i'm doing hang 10 that's hang 10 this is god okay this is the new god symbol all right we're not doing hang 10 this morning it is god and i'm saying this morning that god says look at me behold what i can do now how big is your problem and all of a sudden we just step back and say i don't really have a problem Because if that's my God, if that's the God that meets with me, that talks with me, that walks with me, if that's the God that loves me, I don't have an issue. But some people would say, you know what? God to me is just not very logical. Like, I just don't understand it. God is neither illogical either. God is theological. 
Theo meaning God. And I'm going to use a deep term here, and I apologize for being too churchy, but it's the only way I can properly describe it. Because logical, we've got this logical earth, and it said, hey, for you to understand it, you've got to get the Theo in there. You've got to get the God in there. You've got to get me involved. Otherwise, you're not going to understand it. It's theological. We've got to see this on a whole different level, church, because God is so much bigger than our minds can fathom. I've entitled this message that our God is bigger, better, greater. Because we understand that God is big. My God is so big. My God is so strong. Oh, you don't remember that song? Maybe it's just me. But there's a great song that our God is so big and all the kids shout big and we shout strong, strong. But I'm here to say God is not just big, okay? I'll tell you what, I've seen some animals that to me were big. I've seen some buildings that to me were big. God is not just big. God is bigger, the biggest thing you can imagine, God says, I'm er, add an er onto that. I'm not just big, I'm bigger. God says, I'm not just good, I'm better. God is add the er on it, I'm so much more than that. And God says, I'm not just great. Hey, your favorite Marvel superhero, he's great. I'm er, I'm great er. I'm more than that. I'm better. I'm greater. I'm bigger. I'm stronger. That's our God, church. That's what we need to step back and see. So we take our problems over here and we meet our problems with an omniscient, almighty, omnipresent God. All of a sudden, how do our problems compare to that? God says, to whom will you compare me to? To whom will you liken me to? I love that. It's as if God is trying to get you to say, you know what? You on your best day do not compare to anything that I can do on my worst day. Not that God has bad days. But God is saying, there is nothing you can conceive that can compare to me. There is nothing you can come up with that equals me. So my question is, why do we limit God? He's not limited. We are. Here's what I like to say. It's self-imposed limits. You'll see athletes and they'll, especially runners, they'll have the parachute or they'll run with weights. My wife has these gloves that you put on. They have a couple pounds on it. So when you're doing your whatever, kickboxing, Tybo, whatever she's doing, and it's got the weights and they use those weights and doesn't slow down, but it makes you stronger. And some of you, you've got these limits and you're putting these limits on what your God can do. And your limit is really this. It's all your perspective. It's all your perception of God. My question this, is, this morning is, how big is your God? Touch your neighbor and say, how big is your God this morning? How big is your God? How big is he? And if you ask me that question, I wouldn't say anything. I'd just go like this. Like that. That's my God. That's him this morning. I want you to see, first of all, God is bigger than your situation. Notice verse number 12. Who had measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out heaven with a span and comprehended the dust of the earth? I didn't even get to that. The Bible says every dust, he's counted it. Who counts dust? We sneeze at dust. You women don't like dust. You sweep it. You mop it. You hate it. The kids track it in so you know shoes. You can't stand dust. And God says, guess what? I counted it. And we would say, who has time to count dust? And God says, I'm God. I just do. I counted the dust. He says, I gathered it all. So God says, who can comprehend the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills and the balance? Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord of being his counselor hath taught him. Martin Luther was once talking to a fellow scholar, Martin Luther, not the, um, uh, not Martin Luther King Jr. 
the famous civil rights activist, but Martin Luther, the famous German reformer. He came out of the Catholic Church and he, he believed that salvation was by grace through faith where the Catholic Church taught its works. And so we had what was called the Great Reformation. And so here Martin Luther led that. He was speaking with another fellow writer and scholar whose name was Erasmus. Erasmus helped write parts of the Bible in our translations that you have. Erasmus was one of those scholars that wrote it. Martin Luther was speaking to Erasmus and they were talking about the subject of God and Martin Luther looked at Erasmus and he said this powerful, incredible statement. He said, your thoughts of God are too human. Wow. And when we think of God, that's exactly what we've got to think. Our thoughts of God are just too human because we are talking about an omniscient God. I want you to understand something about the Bible. The Bible is not some disconnected story. It is one divine narrative pointing to one creator, God. It's all about him. And as we read it, that's why it's so important, church, not just to check the Bible off your list, because it's how we communicate, and it's how we learn, it is how we study about our God, because the Bible is the unfolding narrative of our awesome God. You say, I want a better picture of God, and don't just rely on me. Open up the Word of God and let it speak to you. Let the Word of God impact you. God wants to show you great things. But God, He's bigger than your situation. Some of you, your situation is really what's got in between you and your God. And because of it, your God just seems so small. I asked Pastor Chris to get me some binoculars. I was looking this week to find some, and finally he found some for me. You know, what's great about binoculars. They, they work two different ways. Anybody in this room, you have binoculars? Anybody? Okay, a couple of you have binoculars. They're actually, I didn't realize how... They're just not all that popular anymore. A lot of people don't use binoculars. So they were hard to find, but Pastor Chris, he, he found them. All right, so he's the man. What's great about binoculars is they take something, and this might be a new concept for some of you, it takes something far away and it makes it bigger. That's kind of cool. That's helpful. But if you look at the wrong end, it takes something that was far away and it makes it seem what? Smaller. Some of you right now, I mean, you are way out there. This looks like a thousand-seat theater right here. I mean, it's just incredible. Wait, I can squish your head. That's cool. That's fun. Oh, squish. Uh, yeah. and, and so it takes these things, and it just throws it way out there. And what was small would look small. Guess what? You look even smaller. Because it's all about the lens that I'm looking through. Some of you, you're looking at God through the lens of your situation, and God looks eh, small. You say, well, what do I do about that? Flip the lens. Flip the lens. Turn around, all of a sudden, whoa, hey, a little bit too close for some of you. Man, good morning, you know? And it's just like, all of a sudden, God becomes big to us. Because you're looking at God through your situation. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to downgrade your situation. I'm not trying to be insensitive to your situation. I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm not trying to say, well, who cares about you? Just lump it. Get over it. Buck up. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when you see your God, how great and how strong and how awesome he is, all of a sudden you're just thinking, wow, God's going to do something pretty incredible in this situation. He's going to. 
Like, I just can't wait till it comes through because this is going to be a God moment because only God can take care of this. Only God can deal with this rebellious son. Only God can deal with this rebellious daughter. Only God can deal with what's happening in my boss. Only God can deal with what's happening in my health. Only God can deal with what's happening in society. Only God can deal with what's happening in my country. It's so big, but I'm excited to see what our God will do. And God gets glory in that, and he wants to get involved in that because, why? Wow, we just flipped the land. So all of a sudden, God says, they're ready for me to do something awesome. They're ready for me to showcase my strength in that situation because it's not the lens of the situation and then they see God. It's God and then on the other side of it, they see the situation. Because when you match God to your situation, the situation loses every single time. Can I get an amen? Thank you. See, we're talking about God here. We're talking about what God can do in the midst of your situation. Here in this passage, I cannot get over just all that God is doing. I want you to see this. I put down this, the Bible says, who had been his teacher, who had taught him, who had instructed him in the paths of judgment. He's getting rhetorical here, Christian, because God is trying to rebuke our view of him. Because God knows our tendencies to have a wrong view of God. It really is. It's my struggle every day. As your pastor, don't think it's super easy for me to have, just look at everything through the eyes of faith. Hey, when a bill comes, I freak out and I cry to my wife, okay? When people cut me off, I'm just as irritated. When bad things happen and that we have to start a half hour late, it bothers me too. And I want you to think, well, I'm just impervious to all this stuff that happens to all you little people. It just doesn't affect me way up here. No, no, I, I'm, I'm just like you, feet of clay, all right? The same thing that affects you, it affects me, okay? I worry about my children getting diseases too. I worry about my children crossing the street alone as well. I worry about my kids like you worry about your kids. I worry about um, uh, my job like you worry about your job. But here, I want you to see something. God is saying, hey, I want you to have a different view. I love the wisdom in God's words. The way he speaks. But not only that, I want to stand in awe of his wonderful works. Here, he tells us that the heavens are nothing, that the universe is nothing, that God says, hey, it's so small. He says, all the nations before him are as nothing. They are counted less than nothing. They are vanity. Vanity is empty. And God says, they're nothing. We can stand in awe of his wonderful works. You see, the world dwarfs you and I, but God dwarfs the world. Matter of fact, he even goes on to say, talking about princes, and he says this, and I love this, in verse number I'm in this passage. I'm looking for it. He's talking about the princes of the world. He's talking about that. um, Oh, verse number 19. He says, the workmen melted the grave in him. He's talking about idols. And then in verse number 20, he said, and it is so impoverished that have no oblation chooses the tree. He's saying, hey, you get wood to build a God. He says, I'm bigger than that. I'm bigger than anything you can create. But then he goes on in this passage and he talks about some of you. You're worried about the princes and the governors and the rules. He says, those are nothing compared to me. So you're worried right now. Hey, elections are in four weeks. I wonder what's going to happen. And God says, I got this figured out. In other passages, we'll read how the Bible says that in Ephesians 1, specifically, it says that God raised Jesus from the dead. He's resurrected. Here's a God that has power over death. He has power over dominion. So why are we so distant from him? Why do we hold him at a distance when God says, I want to get to know you? You see, God is better, bigger than your situation. And then I want you to see that God is better than your imagination. Verse number 18 says, To whom then will you liken God? What likeness will you compare to him? You say, my imagination's pretty good, Pastor Micaiah. I, I bet. But here's what happens with our imagination. Not only is God trying to rebuke 
his, our view of him, he's also trying to rebuke the view we have of ourselves in relation to God. Because here's how some of you relate to God. You relate to God as the cosmic Coke machine. God is the bless me, feed me, take care of me, protect me, do everything for me, wipe my nose, wipe my feet. I don't do anything. God has to do it. And you just kind of want to like, just kind of process of osmosis. God is going to make me spiritual. God's going to make me happy, healthy, wealthy, and all that. And God, I want my best life now kind of thing. And God is just your cosmic Coke machine. You're just a little magic genie. And it's just kind of like, hey, whatever I ask for, God will give me. And there is some truth to asking God, and he loves you. But there's an attitude that we see God in a light that he's never intended, because that's a selfishness. My children do not see me in the light of, hey, grateful dad works hard and slaves and does all this stuff so that we can now go out to eat or so I can have new shoes. No, it's I want new shoes, it's I want to eat out, and sometimes we have what a little child, we can have that same mentality with God. It's God, I got this bill, pay it. God, this person is not treating me right. Deal with them. Judge them. A good, a good Sodom and Gomorrah fireball would be really good right now. I could borrow one of those. Just on that car right there. You see that red car that cut me off? Just one, God. Just one earthquake kind of knocked their car off. And that's how we kind of get. We see God in our imagination. We relate to God as he's kind of my cosmic Coke machine. Now, I'm not trying to dissuade you from praying and asking for God, but that's not the only way. Also, we also see God as an angry cop. You say, what do you mean, angry cop? That God is around the corner, and as soon as I sin, he's ready to just beat me over the head. And it's almost like he can't wait till I sin. Like it gives him some sick, perverted joy that, man, I get to beat up on my child. And that's the view some people have from God. That's why they run from God. They see God as this legalistic tyrant who loves to judge. They read the Old Testament and they see nothing but blood, plagues, judgment, and babies being slaughtered. And they think, wow, that's a cool God you got there. And they want nothing to do with it. Why? Because their view of God in relation to them is one that God is a cop waiting to punish them. Now, is there going to be punishment for sins? Yes. Who paid that punishment? Jesus Christ. What do we need to do in, in relation to that punishment? And that our responsibility to accept that forgiveness. God says, I placed all the punishment on my son so that you don't have to take that punishment. And the people that will experience what Jesus felt on the cross are those that die without him and spend eternity in hell. You will know what Jesus felt on the cross at that moment. You say, I want to know what, it was, what Jesus felt. You want to know? It can only happen if you die in your sins without Jesus Christ. Then you will know all that Jesus experienced on the cross. And so some people relate to to God as if he's just this cop. Some people, they relate to God as a cuddly teddy bear. He's my safety blanket. Whenever I mess up, whenever I do something wrong, God is just there like a warm blanket, just kind of there. And is he there? Yes, he is. But the problem is, we see God as just kind of a cuddly teddy bear, not really involved, not too smart, kind of more like that, that nice old man down the street. Just kind of really nice, really sweet, snowy white beard, really soft, calming voice. Not too sharp. Memory's not so good. We kind of think that's how God is. That's kind of how we picture God. And matter of fact, if I was asking you to picture God, you and I would probably picture Morgan Freeman in a white suit. That's kind of what we would picture. Because when we picture God, it's in human terms. And God says, hey, not only is your view of me wrong, your view of yourself in relation to God is wrong. Can you see all of these are man-made terms that we concoct? You say, Pastor God, that's never how I saw God. Maybe not, but this is how the world sees God. 
That's why some would never come into a church. They say, no, 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 I don't want a God that's just waiting for me to mess up. I mess up too much. I wouldn't be welcome there. Instead of understanding that God who forgives all sins, also some of us, we see God as a 911 call. He's just there for emergencies. I'll get saved just before I die. I'll get my act together later in an emergency. That's how we see God. I want us to understand that God is better than our imagination. God is better. God is so much more than that. Matter of fact, the Bible says, verse 26, Lift up your eyes on high and behold, who hath created these things that bringeth out their host by number? He called them all by their names and the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Who sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over my God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator, the ends of the earth, faith did not, neither is weary, neither is searching of his understanding. God is saying, hey, I don't forget, I don't just miss things. I'm not that, that old grandpa figure, slightly naive, slightly uncaring. I'm not that cop just waiting to beat you up. That's not me. I'm so much more than that. Now, does sin has consequences? Yes, it does. But is God just waiting for you to mess up, Christian, and all of a sudden that's why you got the doctor report you got? That's not it. Because then we would live in the wrong kind of fear of our God. The Bible does want us to fear our God. He does. But it's not that fear. It's not the fear of the bully behind the bus waiting to steal our lunch money. And some of us, that's how we see God. Or some of us, we see God like this, Simon Cowell. Remember American Idol when he used to be on there? Man, the only reason people watched it is because Simon Cowell would make, such, uh, make fun of these poor people that got up and sang. And so we're afraid that that's God. God's just up there and he's just judging every little thing I do wrong. That's how we see God. But I want us to have a bigger and grander vision. See, God is better than your imagination. God says, even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God says, hey, I'm this God that will sustain you. I'm this God that cares about you. Matter of fact, lastly, God is better than your, or greater than your dysfunction. God knows that we are broken. God knows that we have problems. God created us. He created us with our little idiosyncrasies, the things that we don't like about ourselves. And God says, as detailed as I am, and as specific as I am, I mean, there are more protons in the dot of an eye than there are stars in the universe. How they counted it, I do not know. But there are more protons. And when you split an atom, the power that's in one atom is incredible. Incredible. But what's amazing to think is that God is so much infinite beyond that. He's so specific. Your body, the way it works, is so detailed. And you think, well, God just doesn't take notice of my life. Are you kidding me? God takes ultimate notice of your life. And some of us, you're feeling like, well, 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 in my dysfunction, God just is missing what's going on. I want you to know this morning how this all applies. And let me just bring some quick application before we've got to wrap this up. Here's how all this applies. Here's how God is bigger, better, greater. Because here's how it applies to you. It means that you are not unnoticed. And a lot of people go through life wondering, does God notice me? You're not. God's saying, with all the details that I've got going on in life, everything that I'm juggling, God says, you don't go unnoticed. And that's, I think, some of our greatest fears. 
It's why some, we fear being alone. We just don't want to be unnoticed. There's a desire in all of us to be known, to be cared about, to be cared for. And God says, I do. You're not unnoticed. You're also, you're not unloved. You see, God loves people because of who God is, not because of who we are. Sometimes we think, well, God's love is based on my performance. God says, no, no, no. I love you because it's my nature. It's my character. And we're going to study that because God is love, one of the most obvious ones. I'm not going to get to that one yet. It's just too obvious. It's too there. But I want you to understand that God doesn't love you because of any past performance, any good behavior. God loves you at your worst state as at your best. God's love is the same for you. God loves you. And for some of you that are here without Christ, I don't want you to think that you've got to earn God's love. I don't want you to think that as you change, you say, well, I'm going to stop these bad habits, stop this bad behavior, that that's going to impress God. It pleases God. But I want you to understand something. It doesn't change God's love for you. My children are not perfect, but my love doesn't change for them. Your children are not perfect, but your love doesn't change for them. All throughout the scripture, we see God and his love is consistent. You say, what about Sodom and Gomorrah, where God just blasted that? Remember how much grace God gave them? He gave them time to repent. They didn't. God sent a prophet by the name of Jonah to the city of Nineveh. God was going to destroy that city, but God showed his love on those Ninevites who were cruel, awful, wicked people. But God's love came through. Why? Not because anybody deserved it, because it's God's nature. And this morning, I don't want you to walk out of here thinking, well, God is great, and God is big, and God is awesome, but how does that help me? Because God says, you're not unloved. You are loved, and you are not unnoticed. You are noticed. You see, folks, God is not just big, he's bigger. He's not just good, he's better. He's not just great, he's greater. But how will we respond to that? Are we going to keep looking at God as business as usual? Or do we once again need to see this God in a whole new way? All of our problems are perspective problems. Which lens are we looking at God through? It's time to flip the lens, church. It's time to say, God, I... I want to see you in a different light. But which way am I looking at it? Am I looking at my problem through God? Or God through my problem? How's my perspective? Let's pray.